0: Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Good morning, everybody. Uh, if you're listening on the podcast, thank you for joining. My name is Jared. I'm the pastor here. Today, we are finishing up our What's in a Name message. It's been uh, your first time with us. Names for God and that we find in the Bible and what they mean to us. I mean, oftentimes in our, in our modern society, names that we have for ourselves are nothing more than labels that just help us distinguish one person from the next. But that's not the way it is in the Bible. In the Bible, God describes himself many times with different kind of nouns or pronouns or verbs that help us understand some of his attributes and what it has to do with us. And last week, we talked about Yahweh Nisi. That's a Hebrew word that says Yahweh Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. And if we think about, as Pastor Aaron was saying, that a banner is like a flag that we take into battle, or even for us as Americans, we put flags everywhere, right? And at, the, at, our, at our baseball games or football games or, or wherever we go, when you see that flag, it, it conjures a certain idea or thought in our mind, right? The concept of Yahweh Nisi, that the Lord is our banner, is that we put His flag in our lives when we we look to Him, we have allegiance to Him, and we know that it provides a covering, it provides strength, it provides um, uh, power and authority in our lives. And that's the idea of what God, the Yahweh Nisi, can do for us. Well, this week, we're going to be uh, taking our last look this week or for this month into uh, one of the names of, of God. And this one is this, Jehovah Kana Shemo. God bless you. Jehovah Kana Shemo, which means the Lord is jealous. The Lord whose name is Jealous... And when we think of the word jealous, I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't normally think of God, right? God is not a name I hear synonymous with jealousy. Things that I think of about jealousy, I think of siblings, oftentimes sibling rivalry, right? A son or a daughter or a brother or a sister are are jealous of each other oftentimes and of maybe, that's not fair. He gets this and I got that and I didn't get this or whatever. That's a jealousy thing that we see that happens oftentimes with siblings. It also happens with spouses. We see uh, husbands and wives jealous of each other or the time they spend in different places. Co-workers, have you ever been jealous of maybe of a coworker? Somebody at work that got a promotion that you wanted or uh, somebody's doing better than you, or maybe your boss gives a little bit more um, you know, recognition to a coworker than you, and you find yourself jealous of that. Neighbors oftentimes are jealous of each other as well, right? The, the person who lives next door to me has the house that I would have loved to live in, or maybe the floor's in their house, or their, their yard looks nicer, or maybe their car, whatever, right? Jealousy is something that we see oftentimes all around us, but not something that we think of God. I know growing up for myself, I've always been jealous of my brother. My Brother has always had um, athletic ability. I remember growing up as a kid. Uh, we had a back deck in our in our, our house, and he would jump off the deck, and he would be flying around like a ninja, doing flips everywhere. And I would. Jump off of like one step down and twist my ankle. It was it was just embarrassing. And I remember always feeling so jealous of him. I was jealous of my sister as well. My sister Kylie, I was always jealous of her fashion skills. She's always been somebody who knew how to dress well and, and looked sharp. And meanwhile, there's a running joke in my family that I wore a lot of sweatpants as a kid. And and I just never really felt like I knew how to dress well. In fact, I dressed the way that I do today because of my wife and because of my sister, not because of any personal style that I have. So uh, I've been jealous of Those things, and we think about the things in your own life. What are some things that you have been jealous of over the course of your life and maybe some of your relationships? Jealousy is often considered negative, right? Jealousy is something that we think of as negative, something that we think of as destructive. And what it does is it can take the good things that we have, right? Jealousy, what it does is it takes the things that we have that we should be proud of, but then it turns it into something and makes us feel like what we have isn't good enough. That's what jealousy does oftentimes. So the question then is, so how can God, who is pure, God who is right, who is holy, how can he be called jealous? How does that work? How can we take a negative word, and how does that even make sense when we think of who God is? And what could it possibly teach us about our lives and what God wants to say to us? Well, I encourage you now to open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 34. We're going to see how this word jealous, it seems like a contradiction for who God is. Yahweh, it's Jehovah Shemo, the Lord whose name is jealous. And we're going to see how this works for us. If you have your Bibles, open it up. If you have a tablet or a smartphone, I encourage you to download the YouVersion Bible app. It makes reading your Bible so easy anywhere you are. But let's open to Exodus chapter 34, and let's explore this concept of a jealous God. This is God speaking. He says, the Lord replied, it's also on the screen, Listen. I am making a covenant with you in the presence of all your people. I will perform miracles that have never been performed anywhere in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people around you will see that I, the power of the Lord, the awesome power that I will display for you. But listen carefully to everything I command you today. And then I will go ahead of you and drive out all these people the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, Perizzites, Hevites, and Jebusites. All right, so what we have happening right here is we have God is about to send his people, the Israelites. the Jewish people, into what's called the promised land. This was a land that was just for them. He gave Abraham a promise years ago and said, I'm going to send you there. I'm going to send all your people there, and you're going to have this land, and it's going to be your own. And what he's telling them is that when you go there, there's going to be people there. It's not just a barren land. I'm sending you there, and you're going to have to fight against these other people and kick them out. Okay? So God was saying, I'm going to send you there, and that's what he's telling all these people. And he said, I'm going to do incredible miracles. You're going to see me work on behalf of you in powerful ways so that you can inherit this place that I have for you, this plan that I have for you. Now he continues in verse 12, and this is what he says, be very careful never to make a treaty with the people who live in that land where you are going. If you do, you will follow their evil ways and be trapped. Instead, You must break down their pagan altars. You must smash their sacred pillars. You must cut down their Asherah poles. These were all all symbols of their religious worship of other gods. He says, you must worship no other gods for the Lord, here it is, whose very name is Jealous. Let's read that again. You must worship no other gods for the Lord, whose very name is Jealous, is a God who is what? Jealous about his relationship With you. And I think it sheds a little bit more light on the concept of this word jealous that we're talking about. Oftentimes we think of jealous as a negative thing. But in this case, what he's saying is is that I'm going to do something incredible in your life. I want to take you to a new place. I've got new plans for you. I have a new dream for you. And what I want to do is I want to take you there, but along the way, you're going to come across people who don't believe what about what you do people who, who don't stand for what I stand for, for who people who, who don't want the same things for you that I want for you, says God. He says, and, and the problem is, is that you're going to get there and you're going to meet these people and you're going to be tempted to live like them, but I am jealous for you. I love you. I want to have a relationship with you. I cannot share you with someone else and at the same time give you what I want for you. So that's the big idea of our day. If you're taking notes that are provided in your program, write this down. This is important to understand. The things that God has planned for us are only found in a committed relationship with him. The things that God has for us are only found in a committed relationship with God. Now, that that doesn't mean that God that God is, is expecting you to live a perfect life. That doesn't mean that he's expecting you to to, to, uh, to stop being yourself. What he is saying is that there is a plan. There are miracles that he wants in your life. There are There are breakthroughs that he wants for you. There are dreams that he has for you, things that he wants for you to do or accomplish. There's a person that he wants you to become that you cannot realize. You cannot fully become that person or step into those dreams or those things if you are not going to live a fully committed relationship with him. Oftentimes, people think of Christianity as a set of rules that keep people from having fun. I mean, I hear it all the time. It's why a lot of people have left many churches because that's all they ever hear is, don't do this, don't do that. And that's what they think of as church, right? They think of as Christianity as a bunch of rules and regulations. But in reality, that's not true. The reality is, is that God has great things for each one of us, but they can only happen within the context, and get this, of the boundaries that he designed for us. That would be like us complaining about gravity, Man, I think gravity is so stupid. I, I don't know why. If I could just jump to the top of a tree or the top of a building, I wouldn't need elevators. Why do I have to wait for an elevator? I could just jump, right? That would be, that's what it's like when we complain about the, the principles of God's word. He designed the universe. And when we live outside of those principles of how we should live our lives, how we should treat people, how we should treat him, how we should lift him up, how we should live our life, when we live outside of that, that's the equivalent of us trying to, to go around the physics, the dynamics of physical laws, that's the idea is we're going outside of God's design for our life. When we think of the word jealous, though, when we think of God is jealous to describe himself, I think it might be easier for us to compare it to the highest form of human relationship, of a romantic relationship, the marriage relationship. And as I was reading today or studying this week, I was, uh, came across a passage in the Apologetic Study Bible. And this is what it says. Just, just track with me here for a minute as I read this. This is what it said. The Hebrew word kana, right? So Jehovah, kana, shemo, translated in many versions as jealous can also be translated as zealous with a Z. The term describes God's expectation that human beings will make him their highest priority in life. Loving him with all their heart, soul, and strength. As creator of the universe... In all of life, God has the right to expect people to value him most highly. This type of jealousy is not a bad thing. It is proper in a marriage, right? So here we go back to the marriage. A wife or a husband expects the spouse to be faithful in thought, word, and deed, and would be rightfully upset should the spouse prove unfaithful. Now, does that make sense to you? Think of it in the terms of that. If God is inviting us into a relationship that he wants good things for us, but then we stray outside of that relationship and we experience other things that are not what God designs for us, and we get involved in that, he's saying that's very similar to in a marriage relationship than the covenant relationship that I made with my wife or you've made with your spouse. When you say, I will be faithful to you alone and anything outside of that, is going to prove unfaithful. Rightly so, my wife is going to be upset with me if I'm talking to other women, right? If I'm out and I'm, I'm getting to know other ladies and I'm spending time with them and I'm giving my heart to them, she is rightfully going to be like jealous about that. And she has a right to be, just as I would be. In any relationship, if anything, it, could, it might not just be people, it could be you're spending so much time at work, right? That your spouse feels like, I don't ever see you. Our relationship is crumbling because you're never around. This is the same concept that God is saying. When you, he was telling his people, when you go into this land that I'm gonna give you, you're gonna come across all these people and you're gonna come across these different cultures and there are gonna be things that are gonna tempt you to pull you away. And he said, but don't do that because I am a jealous God. I am jealous of my relationship with you. And I want great things for you, but I cannot give you that best if you're sharing everything else. Just like the best parts of a romantic relationship can only be achieved within the boundaries of a committed marriage relationship, the same is true with our relationship with God. So I go back to that big idea that the things that God has planned for us are only found in a committed relationship with him. Now, let's think about that for a second before we leave this this concept. The, the beauty of a marriage relationship is that you don't have to worry anymore about all the things that you had to worry about before you got married, right? The insecurities of feeling like, does this person like me enough? Or, and all that stuff that you remember, if any of you guys are married, and remember the dating world. Or maybe some of you are still in that dating world. You know what it's like, you know, that, that struggle. For some of you guys who, who maybe have uh, been sexually active before you got married, and you remember how the heartbreak that comes from that, you know, like you thought you were going to be with this person and you gave your body to that person and then and then something happens you're not with that person anymore and so now you're in a place of to to where you you left a piece of yourself with an individual you are not going to spend the rest of your life with but then you get married and you find this this wholeness that comes to that you find a person who loves you for who you are you don't have to deal with any of that junk anymore about the dating and the and the wondering and the what ifs and all of those types of things so that's the idea in a committed marriage relationship the best parts, the best things, the wholeness, the contentment, the intimacy, the connection, all of that stuff can only happen inside of a committed marriage relationship. If, if I then take myself in a marriage relationship and I start giving some of those types of things to other people, I can no longer have that with my wife. Does that make sense? I can't have the intimacy anymore with my wife because I'm sharing her with other people. Or I'm sharing myself with other people. Does that make sense? And that's the idea here with God. The things that he wants for us, the greatest, deepest things, the contentment, the purpose, the dreams, all the things that he has for us in our lives, we can't fully reach them if we don't have a committed relationship with God. The things that God has designed for us in advance become unlocked when we intentionally give him our whole heart. So what does this look like? We're gonna wrap up the rest of our message today with this idea, how to have a committed relationship with God. So I've got three simple points. As Aaron always points out, a preacher's gotta have at least three points. If you have any less than that, apparently you're not anointed of God. I don't know. So three points I've got, how to have a committed relationship with God. And you'll notice that these points come directly out of this passage. So number one, how to have a committed relationship with God. It starts with understanding that God's desire is to demonstrate his power in and around you. Verse 10 said this, I will perform miracles that have never been performed anywhere in the world or in any nation. And all the people around you will see the power of the Lord. This begins with belief. Nothing I say today is going to make any difference to you if you don't believe that God wants to do something special in your life. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to become like a superstar or a celebrity. But if you look at your, your life right now and you think, I feel like there's more, that I could be more. If you feel a tugging in your heart now that God wants something greater for you, that could just mean that he wants you to, to get beyond depression. That could mean that you have this, 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 this deeply rooted belief that you have healing in your future for a sickness or for an illness or an ailment in your body. It could mean that there is a financial position that you are, that you're in right now, and you say, I just, I believe that God wants to take me somewhere. It doesn't mean you're going to be rich, but it might mean that I believe that God wants to take me out of debt. Perhaps it's getting out of debt. I don't know what it is. Whatever it is in your life, it begins with belief. If you don't believe that God wants to do something in your life, then you're praying to a God who is not, who you're making him small. Because God is the master of the universe. He created all of it. And if we think that God is just content to let us sit and live in our smallness and live in our insignificance and live in a place where we're beaten down and bruised, that is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is one that that wants to take your life and transform it so that you have peace, that you can affect other people. God designed good things for you and for me. And we talked about this in March in our blessed life. And if anybody is still stuck on the idea that the blessed life is about money, you missed the point. The blessed life is simply the concept of if you align yourself with the priorities and principles of God's design, okay, back to that gravity concept, the concepts that the Bible teaches are God's principles for a whole life. If you align yourself with God's principles, the Bible tells us that we are under his light. It's like he's shining a spotlight of goodness all over top of us. And then no, as we follow that, we're moving in his direction. And because of that, his favor is there. Wherever God goes, God gets what he wants, right? That's who God is. So if you're sitting underneath God's spotlight, the favor of God is gonna rest on you. And that just means that as you align yourself with those principles, that, that he will go before you in your circumstances. It doesn't mean you're gonna get everything you want. It just means that you have put yourself in the best Possible position to be blessed by God's favor to work in your favor. Okay? So understand God's desire is to demonstrate his power in and around you. He wants something new for your life. Jehovah Kana Shemo. The Lord is jealous for you. He wants you to make you a lighthouse in the darkness, He wants you to be a light and a beacon in the darkness. We have, to have a committed relationship with God, we've got to start there. It begins with belief. Number two, to have a committed relationship with God, we must be cautious of the things that will pull us away. We must be cautious of the things that will pull us away. He gave his people the instructions in verse 12. He said, Be very careful never to make a treaty with the people who live in the land where you are going. If you do, you will follow their evil ways and be trapped. This speaks to the relationships that influence us in our lives. I want you to hear me. I want everybody to look at me right here and try to make eye contact with me. There is a fine line between being a light in the darkness and communing with it. There is a fine line between being a light in the darkness and communing with it. We're talking about the relationships that we engage in that influence us. Okay? He's talking about in a committed relationship, we can't spend time with people who will encourage unfaithful behavior. Let's go back to that marriage concept. If I am in a marriage relationship, I cannot spend time with somebody who's going to encourage me that sleeping with another person is okay. I can't spend time, if I'm committed to my wife Heather, I can't spend time with people who are going to influence me to think about other women. Does that make sense? You can't do that. The same thing is true in our relationship with God. We have to be aware of what is influencing us to think that it's okay to to live outside of God's design. If there's anything that takes us away from that, it's pulling us in a direction that is helping us to commune more with the darkness rather than be a light to dispel it. It's important for us, and that's why he told his people, I'm sending you to an incredible place, but there are people there who, when you get there, don't make treaties with them because you will end up following their lifestyle. It is so true. It is so true. I've seen it so many times in my life when I have spent time with people that I just shouldn't have hung around with. And before I know it, I pick up their habits. And it pulls me away from the things that I know are right. That's the way it works. It's so much easier to be dark than it is to be a light. The people we align ourselves with, treaty, will ultimately influence our thoughts and our behaviors. And we must be cautious of the things that will pull us away. I mean, God is jealous of our relationship with us. Not just because he doesn't want to share us, but because he knows what will happen if we spend time outside of that relationship being unfaithful in other areas of our life with other people who could influence us. There are such incredible things that could happen in our relationship with God. But if our attention has been taken away to things that are of darkness, we're gonna end up distant from him and that relationship can become broken. That's why we must be cautious of the things that will pull us away. So how do I have a committed relationship with God? Number one, we have to understand that God's desire is to demonstrate his power in and around us. We must be cautious of the things that will pull us away. And finally, we must intentionally fight for our relationship with God. We must intentionally fight for our relationship with God. Verse 13 and 14, it finishes this way. Not only does he tell them to just not just avoid treaties, he then says, instead, you must break down their pagan altars. You must smash their sacred pillars and cut down their Asherah poles. You must worship no other gods. This talks about our choices, our choices. A committed relationship intentionally removes anything that gets in the way or will pull us away. So my question to you today would be, what... Things are influencing your thoughts, your decisions, your behaviors. Examine your life right now for a second. What are some things that are influencing you? Maybe the choices of the media that we intake, TV shows, books that we read, movies that we watch, magazines that we subscribe to, news outlets, internet feeds, people that we see on Facebook. Those are all media outlets. They all have a message, right? What is it that's influencing you? Think about your unhealthy or your influential relationships, the people you spend your time with. Think about yourself a year ago and think, are you different now today than you were then because of people you started hanging out with? Think of new relationships. Have you started taking on their habits or their ways of speaking? I know that it's easy for me, even the simplest of way. If I start hanging out with somebody who has a certain mannerism about themselves or a way that they talk, I find myself picking up those things. I don't know, Like it's kind of funny when you visit people who are from other parts of the country and they have accents. I don't know if you've ever found yourself doing this, but you'll find yourself speaking, trying to like almost pick up that accent with them because it's just natural. We have a natural kind of rhythm concept where we want to get to the place where we're, when we're connected with people, we just kind of naturally fall into line with that. And that can influence us. Think about our habits, the things that we do individually in our lives. What do we t- spend our time doing? the activities that we engage in, even hobbies. Sometimes hobbies can be, un, can be un, uh, unhealthy. Even things that influence us, like guys, porn is something that, and not even just guys, but girls. Like porn is something that influences us. It shapes the way that we see women or men. I mean there's that movie Magic Mike that's out there and I'm not usually one to pick up on uh, to pick on specific movies but but it's just a great example of of how like that's porn guys like bottom line is it's porn the idea is is that that women are looking at guys and their bodies and their physiques and they're dancing and then they're just looking at them and it somehow shapes in their brains that, that, is what a, what, that that's what a body is supposed to be like. And the same thing is true for Cosmo magazine. The same thing is true of Men's Health magazine. The same thing is true of Playboy or Hustler or any other thing. Guys and ladies both alike. When we look at a female or a male body and we, and we see it engaged in acts that are appealing to any, to any mind... It begins to reshape the way that you see it, and you have no choice but to automatically transfer that into your relationship with your husband or your wife. You begin to think expectations upon the person that, even if you're in a dating relationship, I'm serious, guys. Like, I don't want to harp on the concept of porn here, but we have to take a deep look at what is it that shapes us and influences us, and are those things what God has designed for us? We must worship no other gods, he says. So the question then is, is what things do we put our faith in other than God? What things do we put our faith in other than God? So and if we want to intentionally fight for our relationship with God, we must ask these questions. What can we put in its place? So if we've identified there are things in our heart, in our life, that are influencing us and pulling us away from our relationship with God, what can we put in its place? How can we strengthen our relationship with God? The answer is this: fill your life with things that will reinforce the committed relationship. When I spend time with couples, married couples <clears throat> or even like, you know, engaged couples who are struggling, when they're having problems with infidelity or or maybe they're just not connecting and they're growing distant with each other, I encourage them the first thing that they do is that they need to start working on things that will help them reinforce the committedness of their relationship. They need to start spending time together. Maybe they need to go to some counseling, marriage counseling. Perhaps they need to go to a, a conference or a marriage conference that, in, that helps remind them. It's important for you and for me and for all of us in our relationships to know that if you feel like your relationship with God or even with your spouse, maybe you needed to hear this today just for your relationship with, with your human relationships, You need to reinforce, fill your life with things that will reinforce the committed relationship. Stop engaging in things that are pulling you away from your spouse or from your relationship with God and start filling it with things that are going to encourage you to spend time with the one who matters the most. We need to surround ourselves with people who will reinforce our relationship with God. Stop hanging out with people who are going to pull you away. If some of your closest friends are people who think God is a joke, that's going to rub off on you. But if you start spending time on a regular basis with people who are passionate about Jesus, people whose lives are transformed, and people whose lives are, are sold out radically to let people know about the hope of Jesus, you're going to find that you're getting excited about it too. We need to surround ourselves with people who will reinforce our relationship with God. We need to spend time with God. Just like in my marriage with my wife, we have date nights every week. We carve out time in our week, and I encourage you to do the same thing, but I encourage you to do the same thing with your relationship with God. Carve out time out of your life. Put it on your calendar. That's what I do. Seriously, on my calendar in the mornings, from, from there's a specific time block. If you look at my calendar, it says, Jared, devotion time. I carve out time in my life just to worship, to read the Bible, to pray a little bit. Spend time with God. And you need to intentionally influence your thoughts, intentionally influence your behaviors. Your decisions with media need to be intentional. Your relationships need to be intentional. Your activities that you choose to engage in need to be intentional. To fight for a relationship means you make choices. The things that you will spend your time with. Jehovah Kana Shemo, the Lord whose name is jealous. God desires a healthy life for us. He wants a healthy life. He has great things that are planned for each one of us. He is passionate about our relationship with Him, but He will not share us. So, my challenge for you today is this as we end, simply don't stray away. Don't stray away. Let's be as passionate about him as he is about us. He gave Jesus Christ, his only son. John 3, 16 says it, for God so loved the world. And you're in it so we can substitute ourselves. For God so loved you. For God so loved me that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, so that whoever believes in him would have eternal life, would not die. We would be able to live forever. He's passionate about us. The Bible says that his desire is that no man, that no one would die, that all would know the love of God. So I encourage you as we think about not straying away to search your hearts for unfaithfulness. I know this is a heavy message. I know this is a little heavy here, but I felt like this is what God wanted to say. He wanted to say, I love you. I'm passionate about you. I'm zealous for you. I get excited when you come into the room. I get excited when you show up for church and you say, you're making me first. Just like, a, just like a husband or a wife when their spouse goes out of their way and does something for them. You get excited about it. You feel special. That's how God feels when we show up at church, when we go to life group, when we open the Bible and we pray. God, I'm taking time out of my day because I love you. But where are those areas that we've been unfaithful? What are we participating in that's taking us away, that's taking our heart from God? And so let's recommit